Good morning, everybody. I feel so honored to be, to be back. Usually churches don't invite me back. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be here and to be a part of Fire in the Hills and uh, got to be in part, arguably the most important night, the youth night, but I am biased. So I love young people. And so uh, how many of you got to be a part of Fire in the Hills one of the days or all many of the days and that kind of thing? So we'll... Um, I, I felt honored to be a part. And if I could say um, congratulations on having the most unreligious pastor in the world. <laughs> uh, I think that's remarkable. And I don't give that compliment lightly. I, everything about him. And also... Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a more loving pastor... That I've seen anywhere. I think he hugged every single one of you on the way in this morning. Do you regularly get hugs from this guy? It's, it's so he has the ministry of hugging, and um, uh, but I, I think that's beautiful, though. You know, um, a pastor's not just to be the guy up in front that goes roar, 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 but the ones that brings the sheep together and loves the sheep and makes the sheep feel cared for. So. Uh, you're, you're honored. Sometimes when you're in the middle of something beautiful, you don't realize it. And so I just want to make sure you realize it. So we want to talk about the church of the future. And I want to engage your imagination. How many of you guys have a good imagination? Okay, how many of you are young in the room? And how many just lied right there? <laughs> need to repent of all the liars here. Um, how many are young in heart still? There you go. Okay. I saw some of the young guys on the way in sitting over here. I said, is this the cool section? I said, yeah, it's a cool section. I said, can I sit next to you guys so it'll rub off? He goes, no, it won't rub off. I said, so there's no hope for me? There's no hope for you. So a lot of us can relate, right? There's no hope for coolness. But thank God there's something more important than coolness. Amen? Not according to the world, but according to Scripture, of course, we know. And so we want to talk about the church of the future, what it could be what your church could become. As I've seen churches all around the world and have seen a taste of something so remarkable, so fantastic, as far as how they're impacting the younger generation. So could you imagine just a few months from now, four months, six months from now, could you imagine that on the way into church, like before you even get in the building, you see dozens of small groups of young people outside with the Bible open, crying, praying over each other. Can you imagine that? You're not even in the building yet on a Sunday morning. It's before the service ever happened. And then you walk in the lobby right here while most people are drinking coffee and hanging out, and you see dozens more groups, eight in this group, six in this group, and they're, they've got their Bible open. They're, they're reading through it. They're discussing it. Can you imagine that in your mind's eye? Can you imagine that service starts and they come rushing in and they're the ones here during the worship, worshiping their faces off so loud you can't even hear yourself sing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a church that's so full of young people that are fully engaged every sermon, every uh, message that Pastor Yuri gives or other speakers give, that they're the first to respond. They're the first to repent. They're the first to say, yes, I want that in my life. Can you imagine that? Come on, dream with me a little bit. I've seen this happening all around the world. Can you imagine they're the ones with the softest hearts who are the quick, quick to respond when God's speaking something to them? Can you imagine them spontaneously reaching out to their peers? Not because they have a, there's an evangelism program, but they're so full of life, it's contagious. Can, can you dream with me? Can you imagine young leaders raised up? And they're only like 13 and 14 and 15, but they're actually reaching and discipling their own peers. Can you dream with me? Yeah. It's not dependent on one really cool youth pastor or one really cool senior pastor because these guys have all become multipliers. Yeah. They're sharing their faith. They can't keep it to themselves. You know, I was like that when I got saved. I was 16 years old. I was just a party animal. Came to an on-fire church, 
got connected to Jesus, and I went back trying to tell my friends about Jesus. How many ever tried to talk about Jesus when you didn't know what you were talking about? That's me, okay. So I'm the guy in my school. I'm the party dude. Now I'm totally on fire, end of my junior year. And I'm like, okay, this is what happened. You see, like, went to church and everything, and I found out that, like, we used to have to kill lambs and stuff and did go in to get close to God, but now we don't have to kill lambs anymore because I got the big lamb, and his name's Jesus, and his blood gets on us, and we can get close to God. My friends are like, what happened to you, man? <laughs> so then I just explain it again with louder words. Same words, just louder. And then <clears throat> out of frustration, I couldn't explain it. I just come to church, the guy that speaks English when he preaches. He'll explain it because all the other sermons I'd ever heard were in, you know, Christianese. Chinese, Japanese, Christianese. But this guy spoke in English. And so I, you know, it's, it's okay even if you don't know what you're talking about. Because when people can sense something that's intangible, like you're trying to describe it but you don't know the words, they go, something, something more important than words is here. That it's not just another churchy thing. Something supernatural happened. So I want to um, take you on a little journey this morning on what church could be, what church right here could be. And uh, let's look at a few verses, how Jesus kind of set the tone for this. Remember, this is the, the very end after he had died and resurrected before he ascended. He's talking to Peter after they just got all the fish. And he's having this interaction Peter, do you love me more than these? After he brought in this catch of fish again. Jesus said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter, uh, uh, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So Jesus, here this morning, would you just open up our ears? Let us hear your whisper this morning. Draw us, Lord, into the secret place. What you're speaking to us right now, in this moment, for this church, for this county, for this season, in world history, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Isn't it interesting here? Jesus is training the very first pastor, the pastor of of all the church, Peter. And when he's describing to him where his focus ought to be, he makes a distinction between lambs and sheep. He says, now, I want you to feed my lambs. Lambs, he's talking about young ones. He's talking about ones that aren't very old. Ones that are wet behind the ears. Ones that act like they don't got nothing between the ears sometimes. He says, Peter, I want you to not lose focus. Pay attention to the lambs. I need you to take care of the sheep and feed the sheep. But don't just think everybody's kind of in the same category. Lambs are lambs. They need special care. They need special focus. I've heard some pastors say, well, if 30% of Jesus' training of Peter to be a pastor was on lambs, maybe 30% of the budget should go to lambs. 30% of the energy should go to lambs. I'm talking about energy like volunteer, events, things like this. I find it significant that every time I talk to Pastor Yuri, he wants to talk about lambs. He wants to talk about the young people here in your region. Let's talk about lambs this morning. The church of the future is focused on the lambs. If I could um, invite you to think for a second, because we've had kind of a, a challenge with the church in America and around the world, that for all that's been done in the name of youth ministry, and I've done a lot of events, hundreds of events in arenas and stadiums, we keep losing more of each generation. And we have programs. It's, you know it's possible to have a youth program without having an impact? Without having discernible difference in what impact it's making. And part of it is because in the church we've had a number of what I would call systemic issues. We did a whole research around the world. Things that we um, 
problems that we have that keep us from making impact. But the truth of the future is figured out how to get over these. We got this problem, old babies in the church. Do you know what that is? People that have been saved for quite a while, but they're still immature in their faith. That's a whole other sermon. We won't talk about that one. We got people that grew, grew up in church, 70 to 80 percent, that don't want anything to do with church or God. We've got just trying to reach the kids who belong to the people who go to the church. Not to mention the ones outside the church. We've got the technology revolution. How do you compete with this? We don't know what to do. We've got the grain of the church, the church around America, around the world is getting older and older. We've got some things that the church of the future has got to combat. We've, we took a combined study of a number of studies of, of what percentage of each generation calls themselves Christians. Look at this. So you can see World War II generations at 84%, boomers, 76, Gen X, 67, millennials, 49, Gen Z's at 38 right now. And if the trend continues, you see where we're going to be. Gen Alpha, who are about five years old right now, 26%, 15%. Now, I'm saying we can do something about this. What do you think? It's time to disrupt this. And it, it, we can't disrupt it if we do the same things that have always been done. You know what that's called? Insanity. No, but we're going to pray for revival. Everybody's been praying for revival for the last 50 years. We haven't disrupted. So yes, we need to pray for revival. And we need to do something different to disrupt this. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. That's what we were talking about with these young leaders. Now, the great theologian, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> once said this. They said, how did you get so good? He goes, that's easy. I just skate to where the puck is going. Too much of the church, we skate to where the puck has been, and we love where the puck has been. You leave me alone, me and my puck, we like where we're at. But what if we were like to see where the church could be in five years, in 10 years, and we skate to that? We pray towards that, we plan towards that, and we change our actions and engagement to where the Lord wants to take the church. What if we did that? Could you imagine what the church could look like in five years? Your church right here in 10 years, in 20 years. Could you dream with me a little bit this morning? Because honestly, every time God moves in the earth, it starts with somebody daring to imagine what he could do. Beginning to dream his dreams and praying for that and then walking that out. I think it's really beautiful what's happening here as far as you have a pastor who dares to dream and let's, let's pull the churches together. Let's do something crazy like fire in the hills. Let's do something where, isn't Holmes County the most densely populated Amish county in the country? 48%, I read. Let's do something crazy. I love a leader like that. Can you dare to dream? What your church and what the other churches here in Holmes County could look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years. You know, I did a little research. If eight churches in each county in America, just eight, just eight, did what these churches committed to yesterday, there's 4,120 counties in America. That'd be over 25,000 churches going after the young generation, reaching them and discipling them. What if right here was a model and other counties like, well, if they can do it there in the most densely populated Amish county in America, could we not do that anywhere? So in the midst of crazy times when there's waves of change that are constantly bombarding us, we just came through all of, you know, the COVID and all the different other changes that are coming. What if we were the ones that we could surf the waves of change? We're not trying to figure out, oh, no, how do we stay alive? Oh, how do we survive as church? We're not thinking like that. We're like, how can we take a generation? How can we take a county? Can I have an amen, somebody? So could I suggest to you a couple things? Three uh, indicators. What the church of the future must look like and could look like right here. And you guys can set the pace. Number one, the church of the future is growing younger. They're actually growing their church by growing it younger. We're not just begging anybody to come to church. 
We're going after the ones who are most likely to come to Christ. Now, in the research, the last five years we've done around the world with churches that are the most effective at reaching and discipling the young generation, this is what they do. They got three things that they keep doing and doing, and I won't go into detail on this. We talked about this yesterday with the youth pastors, but I will tell you this. The first thing they do is they train young people to be disciple makers. Can I have an amen? Did you notice I didn't say disciple, train to disciple them, but to be disciple makers. If you're going to be a disciple maker, you've got to be a good disciple, right? It's inherent. So they're training young leaders. I'm talking about 13 and 14, 15-year-olds to be disciple makers. Secondly, they host events where they're really going after those most likely to come to Christ a couple times a year. They can do it in their church. We talked about yesterday doing like countywide events several times a year for young people. And then once they come to Christ, they take them on a deep dive. Somebody say deep dive. dive. It's not like begging them, please come back to church. No, they take them so deep. This is what they do. They take them deep and quick. We'll talk about that more. And they keep doing this over and over and get better and better and better and better. And as they do it better and better, they reach more and more. And they don't just reach them, but they disciple. Reach and disciple. It's like a tornado of growth. It's like a holy tornado. How many would love to see a holy tornado? So that's what these churches have built, this holy tornado inside the church. So imagine your church growing young. Like it's growing in numbers, but it's, you're watching it get younger. Can you imagine that? Imagine the opposite. Someone came to your family and said, you can't have any children for 30 years. And any of your, anybody that's already born can't have any children for 30 years. What would happen to your family? That's exactly what's happening to the church around the world. Because they haven't been having many children. They can't even keep the children that they have. Not just what would happen to your family, but what would happen to the world. But Jesus, when he was here, there's a lot of people that will argue that at least 11 of the 12 disciples were teenagers. Now he's focused on the lambs himself. One of the arguments is, you know, when Jesus said, when they, when they talked about paying the temple tax, they had the big argument. And Jesus said, go get a fish and pay the tax for you and me. He's talking to Peter. Peter would have been the only one over 20 because only people over 20 owed the temple tax. Everybody else in his discipleship group was under. He says, now I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You're not even very old, but I'm sending you right into the wolves. I'm talking about lambs here, he said. Can't even grow a beard yet. And, and so one of the things that we found that churches that are really remarkable at growing themselves young is they focus on those most likely to come to Christ. But people say, well, how can... How can you do that? Doesn't Jesus love everybody? If if he loves everybody, why would we focus only on young people? Well, look at what Jesus did himself personally when he was here. He loved everybody, but at the same time, he spent more time with the 70 than the crowds. Spent more time with the 12 than the 70. Spent more time with the 3 than the 12. It was all based on receptivity. So it's actually possible to love everybody and still focus on those who are most receptive. Who are those people? Take a look at this. Don't ever forget it, please. This is the International Bible Society. This is 83%. Somebody say 83. Whoever come to Christ, come between the years of 4 and 14. See that big purple stick? Don't ever forget it. Any entrepreneur, any business owner that ever knew that 83% of their new customers were coming from someplace, they would totally focus on that. 83%, 83%, 83%, 83%. We've known this for decades. We, the church. This data came out a long time ago, but we haven't done much about it. That's why the church keeps getting older and older. Because we haven't changed what we actually do. So, we try to get, let's get everybody saved. And we get very few of anybody saved. But if you focus like a sniper, those most likely to come to Christ, we'll see a lot more come to Christ. There's something about this age... Do we have any 13-year-olds in the room? If you're 13 year old, lift your hand up. There's one right there. A couple more. Uh, okay, good. Okay, thir- something about 13. See, the, the, the window is 4 to 14. It's hard to get to them younger than 13 because they're children, maybe vacation Bible school, maybe some other things, but it's hard to get to them. But as soon as somebody turns 13, there's this thing that goes off. What am I? I'm not a child. 
not an adult. What am I? And if we're not careful, we'll let social media fill it in for them. We'll let the world tell them what they are, who they are. Something about 13-year-olds are like, who, what group can I belong to? Will it be the cool guys? Will it be the druggies? Will it be the people that are good at sports? They're looking to belong. Usually the church is running right by them. Because we want to get the cool kids, like they're 16, 17, 18. We're trying to chase kids who don't want to get caught. 13-year-olds want to get caught. But they're not caught very often by the church. Because we don't know what to do with them. So I can tell you, it's sort of the, also the bar mitzvah age, you know? 12, 13, in the Jewish community, where they made their relationship, their faith, their own. And it's not just my parents' thing. So, what does that mean? Here in Holmes County, apparently there's about 44,000 people living here, 25% of them between 5 and 19, which means there's about 1,000, 1,002, 13-year-olds right here in Holmes County, right here, right around you, most likely to come to Christ, most likely. If they ever come to Christ right now is when they're most likely. Every year, they get, it's get a little bit harder, a little bit harder. After they turn 20, it becomes very unlikely. Like 90% come to Christ before 20. Right here. I knew you were pretty close to Wayne County. So here in Wayne County, you got more people and more young people. You can see the data here. Pull it right off the internet. About 2,000 more 13-year-olds in Wayne County. This is right here. They're right here, going to our schools, in our communities, right here, waiting for someone. They're the most ripe they'll ever be. So what we found is churches that are the very best, they focus. Somebody say focus. Don't do a million things. Let's go after them just like you would if you're trying to build a business. Be careful. Because, you know, sometimes I think what happens, we kind of, we take scripture and we kind of morph it into how it makes us feel good. So, for example, even though you can hear that the church is getting older and older, the church globally, in, in Korea, the last 10 years, they closed 10,000 churches because everybody got old and died in those churches. No one left. But we com- comport it with, with Scripture that says, well, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, which is true, right? It means it will, the gates of hell will not eradicate the church, but we have seen times when the church has been severely diminished. Remember the Dark Ages? Why would we want to lose a couple generations? Why would we let the world languish in that one unnecessarily? So growing the church young is not like, let's just get more people. It's like, let's get the people who are most likely. Let's go after them. Let's focus on them. You might be thinking, well, how, can, how can we do that? Let me just give you a couple of practical things. What if each year, maybe every six months, the average age of your weekly attendance here at Freedom, just gets a little bit younger. What if we started tracking that? How, would, how could we possibly track that? Pull out your phone. Everybody pull out your phone. If you're 13 and up, pull out your phone right now. Just pull it out. It's okay. In church, just today. <laughs> and just scan this QR code real quick and ask you one question. Every husband, every wife, every, if you're 13 and up, just hold up your phone real quick, and I'll tell you in 10 seconds the average age of the people in this room. Like literally in 10 seconds. Scan it in, go to that little page, put your age there, and then push, push submit. You got it? Not hard. Because it's important to know what the average age is right now in the room, but then what could it be in six months? What would it be in 12 months? And just start watching the trend. So if you just take a second and scan that in, and I'll, and I'll report to you the findings, right? Directly, right here. Is anybody on the edge of their seat right now? Don't fall off. <laughs> All right, just scan your, just, just put your, your age in there, and, and, uh, I'm just going to the spreadsheet right now because all your, all your numbers are coming in right now. Anybody have a... Anybody want to guess what the average age in the room is right now? 
I'm just waiting. I gotta update this. Hopefully I'm connected to Wi-Fi still. I know you're on the edge of your seat. And the winner is, uh, I didn't hear any, uh, anybody offering to guess what the age is right here. 32, 45. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just scrolling down to find out the bottom of all where we're at here, just a second. It's taking me longer to scroll down than it is to calculate it, I guarantee you that. We're almost there. So this is one measurement we encourage all churches to constantly, like, not, it's not just important to know the number, but to know what the trend is. So you can say, are we getting closer to growing our church younger and younger and younger? And so here we are. Here we go. We're almost there. I know that's not right. The average age is not 24,000. <laughs> yeah, we are in big trouble. Um, I think it's it miscalculated because some people put, somebody put 33,000. <laughs> I'm not going to ask who did it, but somebody was trying to be funny. And so that skewed everybody's age, didn't it? Uh, I got to take that one out of there to get the average age. Thirty-nine point four. Congratulations. <laughs> Should we be happy about that? Well. I can tell you that uh, the the church of the uh, of the the average age of a mega church in America is forty years old. Average age of a smaller church is fifty three years old. So you guys are doing pretty good. Yeah, and but and we want to. The kids are out, but we we try to make this the same every time. You always want to measure the. Um, Measure it the same way from 13 and up, okay? So um, every time you do it, we'll just go from there. So let's see if we're back on track here. So dream with me. The church of the future is growing itself, but it's growing itself younger. So what if six months from now it was 38? Um, a year from now it was 37. Are you following me? You, just, you don't have to grow dramatically younger. At least get, get on the right trend. The church of the future, number two, it's full of problem solvers. How many of you know people have problems? And people without Christ have even more problems. That doesn't mean we all don't have any problems. But the closer we get to Christ, the more he alleviates problems, right? Because he teaches us how to live. And the more we live according to Scripture, the fewer problems we have. Because at least we don't have problems because of our own sin nature dominating us anymore. But the enemy... There's all kinds of things, technology and this and that. What are we going to do about the Internet? What about this and that? All kinds of things. And the world has all kinds of problems. And how many know Jesus solves the problems? And if we're the problem solvers in the community, for example, we've got um, everybody online. Oh, I've got this community, online community, but they're so lonely. they got a problem. i got a 1,000 friends, but I'm so lonely I want to end my life. So we have the world encroaching on our normal life situation, creating more problems. Here's an expert in social media. 
says we're, she works at MIT, we're, we're lonely but feel fearful of intimacy. Digital connections offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Instead of working something out and forgiving, you just block them. Get rid of them. You ghost them. But we have the answer. We've got Jesus, the life giver, the forgiver, and we've got truth on our side because we learn it and we grow in it. We walk in it. What if, what if we're like the problem solvers of all Wayne County, all of Holmes County? We're the ones, we, the church, people that love God. Jesus had the best teaching in history of how life ought to be lived. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's Jesus. Relationships, life, love, business, family, everything. What if we're a whole church full of problem solvers? Watch this. Anybody who's ever had a kid knows what it's like as soon as that kid's getting ready to turn 13. Ah! Like right now, it's crazy. I'm parents, doesn't matter if they go to church or not, matter whether they love God. If they're getting ready to have a 13-year-old, they are freaking out. They are pulling their hair out because they know the power of the culture is coming after them. What if we're the problem solvers? We're going to help your kids learn how to have real friends. We're going to help your young people learn how to navigate all the craziness in social media. One church up in, a pastor up in Minnesota came up with this cellphonepermit.com. He's going on Shark Tank with it. So watch this. This is an example of a problem solver, right? So he goes, if you have to have a permit to drive a car, why wouldn't you have a permit to get online? So it's a whole training program for young people as a parent is getting ready to give them a phone. Before you get it, you've got to get your permit. All, of course, built with Christian principles on how you don't get in trouble and don't get scammed by all the people trying to steal our kids. What a great innovation. He's a problem solver. What if we were like, I mean, that's, that's really every entrepreneur's deal. They're solving a problem and they're making a living from it. You could do that. You could do it for the, solving the problem of, of kids. There's a, an app out there called Enlace. These guys are so smart. They were the Hispanic TBN network. Now with Enlace Plus, they work for any language. And so they, they're really smart solving problems. So watch this. People living on the internet. You, you log into Enlace Plus. They built it on an AI a couple years ago before AI was popular. So when you, you log into Enlace, you put like your Facebook stuff and whatever social media you follow. And now it follows you. You tell, you tell them what your favorite preacher is and author and stuff like that. So from now on, you get on Facebook, you say, hey, I need prayer for my children. All of a sudden, Lasse Plus will send you links. Hey, did you know that one of your favorite authors, Joyce Meyer, whoever it might be, on this page of her book says this and this and this about your children? Or you need healing. Here's a, here's a, here's a teaching by one of your favorite speakers that talks about healing. At, the, at three minutes and 42 seconds in, there's a testimony. Or it asks, hey, I need, I need if somebody gets on their side, I need prayer for my mom or my dad. Then in Lasse Plus, we'll go out to all the Christians and say, hey, we need 25 prayer. And so 25 real people will connect back with you. I will pray for X, Y, Z. Thank God for some smart Christians, right? How about a whole generation full? Like, we're the problem solvers. We're the ones, instead of just the finger pointers, the preachers, we're the problem solvers. Because we care about people. Jesus cares about broken people. A church full of problem solvers. Imagine that. And there's lots of problems to solve. Kids that need to be adopted. Kids in the, in, in the court system. Kids turning 18 years old, out of, getting out of the court system, and they have literally nowhere to go. Like, they're, here's your bag, literally not a suitcase, but like a bag full of your stuff. Go live. Homelessness, suicide, depression, abuse. We got all kinds of problems we can solve. The more problems we solve, the more people we endear, the more people love the Lord because they see. And I, I can tell you all kinds of problems that these churches around the world that we studied are solving. Here's one. In Singapore, Pastor Howe here says he starts reaching all these young people, and they're all, they all have Buddhist parents. How many think that's a problem? Buddhist parents start getting mad. Their kids are getting saved. They're angry. They're fire-breathing. And they're not saved because they change religion. They're not mad because they change religions. They're mad because they're taking them away from their studies, Chinese value studies. So much to the point where, like, if you don't get into this right university, a parent will tell their 15-year-old, if you don't get into this university, I will kill myself and my blood will be on your head. They'll tell their kids that. So then the kids jump out of these skyscrapers and kill themselves. There's too much pressure. So 
Pastor Hollis starts winning thousands of young people to Christ. He's discipling them, and he starts getting pushback from all the, uh, the parents that, you know, don't want him doing this. And so he has to solve a problem. How many of you know the enemy, when you start reaching young people, they're always going to be challenged. There's going to be pushback. So he has a barrier that's thousands of years old, Buddhist parents. So they start a solution. They iterated. This is what they came up with. Let's start a mentoring program for everybody that wants to go into university. We're going to teach them how to study better. And by the way, during the mentoring program, taught them that your identity is in Christ, not in what grade you get. And by the way, taught them, oh, here's how to have peace instead of anxiety when you're taking the tests. The kids start getting better grades, getting into better universities. Now the Buddhist parents love the church. (laughs) But it gets better. They go, oh, everybody has a mom, right? Mother's Day is coming up. Let's do a banquet for all the moms. Everybody invite your mom. We're going to give them a free meal. We're going to give them flowers. We're going to honor all the moms. They do a big thing for moms. And then they have a message for Buddhist moms. Buddhist moms start getting saved. Then they do the same thing on Father's Day. Buddhist dads start getting saved. Are you following me? World full of solutions. The church of the future is not just preaching a gospel about what happens after you die, but it's like all the solutions that Jesus has for us right now while we're living in a broken state of humanity. The freedom and forgiveness. And finally, the church of the future is going to get real practical here. It's full of multipliers. It's not just the youth multiplying, but it's the adults multiplying. You know, we talked about the problem of old babies. This is what you don't want to see on Sunday morning. I don't think we do here, but in too many churches we do. So they employ deep dive disciple making. Like they, they bring them to Christ, go after them when they're 13, and they start taking them on a deep path. And they're thinking outside of the box, not the way we've always done it. Let's just do the way we've always done it. I'll go on. This <laughs> is not political. Old school used to be get someone saved and just beg them to keep coming to church. Please read your Bible now and then. But the new way is, no, multiplying our faith is normal. We're going deep, and we're taking people with us. Old school is, my preference is what's most important when I come to church on Sunday. My preference for music, my preference for preaching. New school is, demands deferring my preference. I can tell you about a church in Bogota. Their biggest problem, they seat 3,500, they have five services a day, and their biggest program, problem is they got a church of, a, a line of 2,000 people around the building waiting to get into the next service at, between, of young people. And I can tell you the service looks really cool and really amazing, but it's full of old people as well that have been there for a long time, and they're all weeping out of joy, even though it's a band they don't, and a style of music they don't particularly like, they don't care, because there's something more important than my preference. People get mad about that. (laughs) Old school is, I'm just going to go to a church that meets my needs. Wait a minute. What about meeting the needs of humanity? Meeting the needs of the next generation? The future of the church, what it looks like in five years and 10 years and 20 years, takes priority over my needs being met. There's so many ways to get our spiritual needs met. Our, you know, our needs is not just our te- what teaching we get. It's relational. I, you, guys have a, you guys have prioritized that around here, obviously. But there's all kinds of ways to keep getting teaching. And so this is what the difference is. The linear thought is, let's just grow a couple percent a year. Let's just grow. This is how a lot of businesses have grown for the last 50, 100 years. The exponential, you grow exponentially when everybody's a multiplier. It's not all the weight on Pastor Yuri to become a multiplier, like everybody multiplies. Think about that. That's how the early church was. There was no megachurches. There was no big buildings. Everybody was a multiplier. So this is how they think about multiplying. If your church was a factory and you were producing a pipeline that something, something's coming out of the pipeline, what would that pipeline look like? What would be coming out of that pipeline? When they turn 21 years old, what do they look like? So the church of the future is raising up people that look like this. By the time they're 21, they've got rare maturity of character, their leadership prowess, they're immersed in healthy friendships that, uh, that provoke them to grow in their faith, their scriptural acuity, mental fitness of critical thinking skills, their lifestyle of multiplying. They're confident about their calling, yet they're humble. So 
what we found is churches setting goals, what we want them to look like at 21, and then they reverse engineer it. Let's build a pipeline that starts at 13 that gets them there when they're 21. Each one of these pieces of pipe is a trimester, 12 weeks and then 12 weeks and 12 weeks. All these churches have developed these, these trimesters of 12 weeks to get these young people to arrive. The pipeline gets bigger and bigger because if you keep reaching 13-year-olds, then next year they turn 14, you get more 13-year-olds, then they turn 14. And pretty soon you've got a big pipeline starting from 13 going all the way to 21. Are you following me? We're not just wandering around going, well, I hope for the best. Let's just keep reaching a couple kids. They're measuring. They're watching. They're going after. They're very determined. And there's a place for everyone in this process. We'll talk about it for a second. This is just a visual of what it looks like. So imagine, let's see if this will work here. Imagine um, at the very bottom here, someone comes to Christ, and they're 13 years old. The typical uh, way of growing is, well, just come to church, keep coming to church, keep coming to church, and then die. Not during a sermon, hopefully, but, uh, but watch what these guys do. They take them on a deep dive. The first trimester here is it's all on felt needs. If you're lonely, if you're depressed, what about your family? What does the Bible have to say that can help you with those things? That's the first trimester. Second trimester is diving even deeper. How do you build your whole life on Christ? Why did Jesus need to die for our sin? And then the third trimester, the third era, is even deeper. So watch this. They take them on this deep dive for the rest of their life. They've got a depth and a breadth of their faith. It's not just barely, please come to church, please, please, please. They're not barely hanging on. They're multiplying in their faith. By the time, watch this, by the time they've turned 21, they have been discipling people for six, seven years. Literally hundreds of people have grown in their faith because of them. Now they're 21. You don't have to wonder if they're wandering off in their faith. So we literally, the church of the future builds a, this is what, a world changer factory. That's what you build. We're not just talking about a place where just more people come. It's what happens when they come that turns them into this. It's called deep dive disciple making. I will tell you, you might be thinking, but Ron, how can we do this? I'm, I'm like old. What can I do? You can do something. So a couple came up to me preaching a few years ago at a church and they go, Ron, we heard you were saying about young people. I'm like, we have to tell you, we're old. We really are. And they were. Clearly, they were grandparents, right? And like, we don't know what to do. But one day, these kids started riding their skateboards across the street from our house. And we're like, we don't know what to do. You know, they're cool. And they got tattoos. and all, But we had to do something. So the lady said, I just started making them brownies. International love language. I just started bringing them brownies every day. Bringing them brownies every day. And we became friends with them. And then we found out about this DVD that had these really cool Christian skateboarders. And we got it. And one day I brought them brownies and said, hey, we found this cool video. You want to come watch it? So they came over across the street to the house. They plugged in the DVD player. They started watching it. And they go, and these kids started giving their life to Jesus. Like, we don't even know what we're doing. We're old. But we had to do something. A lot of kids don't even have grandparents, don't know their grandparents. They've moved all over the country. Don't know what you can do. You know, love has no age. You don't have to have a tattoo and try to dress like them. Just love them. Just invite them over for a meal. Do something with them. Brought um, some of the tools that I talked about, these trimester. Brought some with me just in case some of you are really eager. This is a whole year of growth. Trimester one, how Jesus impacts every part of my life. So this is not a book. It's disguised as a book. It's something to do in your quiet time every day for 12 weeks. You could do it with your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, a friend. At the end of each week, there's discussion questions. Hey, would the Lord speak to you on this day? Something to write every day. Let me see if I have it. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's stuff to write down every day. in their. So we're teaching them to do this every day. And you go on a journey with them. This is something really practical you can do. So we have them set up in bags like as a bundle. So you can get one for you and one for a young person. Even if you don't know the young person yet. I'm going to take somebody on a journey. I'm going to take somebody with me this year. I'm going to find somebody. You can even if it's somebody that's not in town, you could do it. Anyways, it's very practical. Let me end just by giving you the Joshua challenge. Everybody, look at somebody who says, this means you. Everybody could do this Joshua challenge. Remember this verse? A generation arose that did not know the Lord. Do you all remember that verse? The context is this. 
And all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Watch this. This was written right after Joshua and Caleb died. So remember what happened. Moses had led the people out of Egypt. Remember all the miracles, all the frogs, the hail, the, the blood, you know, all the, providing all the, the food in the desert for 40 years. Remember that? Remember he sent the 12 into the promised land? The 10 came back. We're going to die. We're all going to die. Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, we can do it. So Joshua and Caleb, everybody else died. They got to lead them in. So Joshua and Caleb led the people of Israel, the whole next generation, into the promised land. And this happened about 27 years after Moses had died. 27 years after Moses died, Joshua and Caleb were leading them into the land. And, and then they conquered the land, they divided the land, and then Joshua and Caleb died. That's when this was written. About 27 years after Moses died, about 67 years after they'd just gotten out of Egypt. Not very long, right? Now, even Joshua saw his plenty, plenty, share of miracles, right? Jordan River dried up killed all the giants and all that kind of stuff. They got all the land, divided it all. Just happened. And remember, when the, when the Jordan River dried up, God told them, put a big pile of rocks here so every time you look at the rocks, you'll remember the miracle. The rocks are still there. That's right. That's them right there. So apparently these guys, 27 years later, are walking by the rocks and they didn't even remember what they were there for. Oh, it's just a pile of rocks. So apparently it's possible to have lots of miracles and not remember them. How could that be? Let me just ask you to think about. Whatever Moses had done for Joshua, Joshua apparently did not do for the next generation. If you look carefully, you'll see that wherever Moses was, Joshua was for 40 years. Moses was old, but he's carrying Joshua with him. Remember? Goes to Mount Sinai, he's there with him. Builds the tabernacle, he goes there. Sometimes he hangs out after Moses is gone. Remember the, the day that the sun stood still? Aaron and her are here. Who's leading the battle that day? Joshua's leading the battle. So when Moses died, he said, we're in good shape. Joshua's going to take this thing. Even though Joshua saw a lot of miracles, apparently he didn't have people alongside him to do the same thing. One of the churches we studied in Ghana, I'll just tell you the story, and we're going to close here in a moment of prayer. Bishop Opoku did this. He took over the domination, Pentecostal Church of Ghana, when he was 50 years old. He loved young people. He had been a pastor for many decades. Everywhere he went, he had a lot of young people. But when he took over the whole denomination, he saw there were very few people, young people in the church. About a million would gather every Sunday at all the congregations, very few young people. He goes, we're going to turn this battleship. Now, if it's hard to turn a church young, imagine turning a whole denomination young, right? So he goes, first thing he's going to do is, as they do pastor's conferences all over the country, he says, we're going to train our pastors why to love young people and how to love them. This is what he did. He says, just go get a Coke or a coffee or something every week, every couple weeks, at least once a month with a young person, 13, 14, 15, just, and just sit there and let them disciple you for a minute. They call it reverse mentoring. Disciple you in, what is it like to be a young person right now? What does it look like through the eyes of a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old? What do you watch on YouTube? What music do you listen to? What are you afraid of? Notice he didn't start with a program. He started with the heart of the pastors. So these pastors started loving young people. Then they started dealing with cultural things in the church. Hey, why can't we wear jeans in church? Not in our bylaws, not in the Bible. Why would we prohibit that? Why can't we have more modern music in church? It's not in the bylaws. Now, I don't think you guys have any of these problems here, you know, be, being too religious. But some people got really mad. Anyways, some, we put up artificial barriers in the church all the time. They keep the young generation out. Fast forward. After 10 years, they went from 1 million every week at all the churches to 2 million, 750,000 of them young people. He said, Ron, the greatest thing that happens to me is a young person I've never met comes up to me, grabs my arm, and starts choking it and says, thank you for loving us so much. He says, I never met them. But they can tell by the system we've set up that they're valued and they're cared for. And that's where young people will go, whoever values them the most. 
So my encouragement, just find a Joshua, just one, or Joshua Ed, you, everyone. Just find one and let them reverse mentor you. Just go grab a coat, grab a coffee. Somebody, maybe this in the church, maybe this somebody that's not in the church, maybe a niece or a nephew, somebody that lives down the street from you. Just find one. Spend time listening to them. You know, what, what's life like for you? Quick to listen, slow to speak, you know, loving them. You know, what will happen is the more you get to know the young generation, the more you'll care for them. The more you care for them, the more you pray for them. You know, do something. You know, Jesus says love one another. It literally means love one another. You ever heard somebody come up at Paul, I love all of you. And you're like, you don't even know me. We can't say we love the whole generation unless we can love one. Just love one real good, one at a time. Reverse mentoring. Just think about it. You could do it this week. You could do it next week. What if everyone did that here? Just try to find out what life looks like through their eyes and pray for them until God breaks your heart. Jesus saw the crowds. He was moved with compassion. When you see the crowds of young people, when you drive by them in a football game, whatever, are you moved? Find out what their story is. Everybody's got a story. Like, what's the story of their life? So you can pray for them even better. If each one found one a year, you can start seeing the multiplication effect. Because you train them to find a Joshua, then you do it again the next year, then you do it, and you start seeing something exponential happen. Just besides what everybody else does at all the other eight churches, there's something that you can do right now. Just give them some brownies. 20 doublings is a million people. Whoa, that's a lot of people. You just doubled every year. Just find a Joshua and then train them to find a Joshua for the next year. So, uh, could, could I just do something in closing here? If you're a young person, if you're between the ages of 13 and uh, 19 years old, could you stand up wherever you're at? Okay, so this is what I'd like for you to do. If you're standing right now, I want you guys to come to the front just for a minute. Just come down to the front. Come on, give them a big hand clap because they know. All the guys in the cool section, come on down. Come on, you got to come, bro. Come on, man. All the guys are cool. Just come down here. I'm not going to make you do anything weird or anything. Come on down. And come on up close. I don't bite, I promise you. And uh, come on, cool people too. There you go. Come on. Just cool people can come front too. And so here we are. So uh, just a second. So I want you to realize what happens with this age group will determine what your church looks like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. So in five years, if there's only this many here of this age group, what does the church look like? In 10 years, if there's only this many here. Are you following me here? Do you see the logic? How many of you guys are actually 13? 13. All the 13-year-olds come right here in the center. Okay, just real, It's okay. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. You're not going to have to preach. But see, these guys represent the some 3,000 13-year-olds that are in these two counties. There's like four of them here. It's like less than 0.1% or something, right? But it doesn't have to stay that way. So, I'm asking you, moms and dads, grandmothers, grandfathers, is start surfing the waves of change. What if this is just the beginning of the church of the future, right? You're seeing right here. What if, like, over the next year, what if this doubled and then doubled again? What if the church leadership, and I believe your pastors like this, if we're surfing the waves of change, this is what Pastor Yuri is right now. He's seen where the wave's going. He's seen what needs to happen. He can see what the Spirit's doing, and he's inviting the church. You guys, come on, let's do this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the church of the future. Church of the future is not just the pastor being cool, but it's the church finding ways to use jet-powered surf boats in small groups, rescuing young people from the, uh, the water that are drowning in the culture, and they're growing their church younger, they're having a great time, they're not intimidated by the waves of change, and they're not afraid to solve some problems and help people embrace Christ, and they're not afraid to go and multiply themselves. Go find a young person. Go find a Joshua or a Joshuaette. And, and have a Coke with them and ask them to talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you 
the church of the future. The church of the future. So could I ask, if you are willing to find a Joshua or a Joshuaette within the next 30 days and find one and just start letting them mentor you, stand up right now if you're willing to do that. Let, just want to find out what it looks like. Yeah, you're, I'm just, just willing, Lord, lead me to one. This is where you can start. This is a baby step. Okay, so let's lift, lift our hands and pray right now if you're standing. Let's just pray and say, let's just pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, lead me to the Joshua, the person that you would have me learn from and understand more of your heart for this generation. Now go ahead and start praying for somebody that you know that's maybe 13, 14, 15. Just pray for them out loud. Father, right now we're just lifting up our voices. We're lifting up our hands. We're lifting up our hearts, Lord. Help us, Lord. Be those people that are so smitten with love for you and for the young generation, that they can tell that they are loved. Now, could we do this as an act, just an act, a sign of obedience? Would you just come down and pray for one of these young people here in the front? Just put your hands on them. Maybe they're your Joshua, maybe they're not, but they represent the young generation. And let's be a church that starts by praying. Go ahead. If you feel led at all, just come and pray for one of the young ladies, one of the young men here. And guys, girls, don't be intimidated. You've got old people praying for you, man. These people love God. You should ask for all the blessings you can possibly get. And go ahead, just mob them. You come up on the front and come down on the front and just pray over them. And um, pray God's blessing, God's favor. I know you guys are a praying church, so just pray out loud, Lord Jesus, right now. We're praying for supernatural impact. We pray that you use these young people, Lord, that they would find favor with God and with man, Lord, that they would find your calling early on their life. Lord, we thank you that they're in the world, but they don't have to be of the world. In Jesus' name, Lord, we're going to pray for them and anoint them and bless them, God, to be the ambassadors to their generation. We thank you for freedom in their life, Lord, that they would demonstrate to their generation what freedom really looks like. It's not in being cool or dressing cool. It's in living in freedom in Christ. And Lord, we're here covenanting with you, Lord. Move our hearts with supernatural compassion for the young generation. Lord, make us part of the answer, Lord. One county in 4,120 4, counties that really focuses on reaching this young generation. May we be moved with compassion, not just a program, but with compassion to reach and impact the young generation. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Go ahead. You just keep praying. Pray for them specifically. Pray God's blessing on their life. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. for the brokenhearted in this generation. There's been so many divorces, so much brokenness. Let's pray for them all over this county, the two counties here, all over the nation. Oh, we've raised up, we've raised a generation of broken young people. We pray wholeness and healing for them. Freedom for them. In Jesus' name. every one of you. We can look at the big picture of all the teens that need to be reached and we can kind of feel helpless. But I want to encourage every one of you, Lord, show me a young person. Show me one young person that I can pray for, that I can get to know.
that I can make a commitment to that I'm going to start loving on and just encouraging them to find out who they are in Christ and help them navigate through the challenges of life. I just thank you, Father, for a congregation that is awakening to our opportunity to love on young people who are not only the church of tomorrow, they need to be the church of today. I'm just making a commitment to all of you teenagers, all of you young people, that you're important, that you matter to us as a church body, and that we want to be here for you. And we don't want you to be going through any struggles in silence. We don't want you to be battling depression on your own. We don't want you to to face the pressures of peer pressure uh, without uh, under without helping us to understand what you're facing and dealing with, and letting us be there to encourage you. And we're just making a commitment. We're going to get in your space. We're, we're going to be here. We, we want to, we want you to understand how, that we love you and that you matter. And, and uh, I'm asking, Father, that you would awaken the hearts of this congregation, that we understand how important this is, and that we value these young people, and we begin to speak identity and purpose into their life so that they grow up to be powerful men and women of, of uh, destiny. And we just thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Father, I ask that you awaken us even in dreams. Uh, give us prophetic words for our young people. Uh, help, Let us dream about them. Let, let us uh, really be invaded by your spirit and what is on your heart for these young people. We do not want to lose a generation of young people. We want to raise them up to be the champions that you wired them to be. And we just thank you for them. We just thank you for them. Jesus' name. And I just want to challenge every one of you. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you care. These young people aren't looking for us to be smart as rocket scientists so we can help them. They're looking for people who love them and care about them. Can we make a commitment to do that? Amen.